G'day, welcome to Mouthful of Bees. Today we are talking about the state of cafes. This episode uh, is part of a three-part series. We're also going to focus specifically on tea and on coffee in the uh, coming episodes. Just a little note, if you don't follow us, help us out on social media just by following, um, share our posts with on your own feed or with directly with someone else if you think it's good, if you think the content's good, and that way they can follow us too, we can start to grow. Uh, today we're going to be talking just a tiny bit about the uh, history of where, well, the history of cafes and where they're at now. We'll have a little interview with a cafe owner who has crazily enough, opened up a cafe during the pandemic, and then we'll give you some little tips on how to know if a cafe is good. All right, let's get into it. Cafe itself, I think, comes from the, well, it is, does mean coffee in Latin, but the before that, I think colloquially, we called them caf. Uh, before that was coffee house, or before that was a tea house. In fact, I think because we were colonized by the British, we drank a lot of tea um, until after the Second World War. I think actually the first commercial espresso machine came in to Australia in 1928 into a Cafe Florentino, which I think is now Florentino, Florentini Grossi, possibly the restaurant, in Burke Street in Melbourne City. But um, mainly after the Second World War, when government lifted controls on coffee imports, a lot more coffee was able to come in. And also the government accepted non-British immigrants. And that is when our culture started to develop, especially with the influx from Europe, Europeans, uh, Mediterranean and probably Italian especially, and Greek also. And I guess um, that coupled with uh, Melbourne's love of food and beverage industry and it became part of the culture, drove cafes to burgeon, the number of cafes to expand to a point where it almost uh, or it did become oversaturated. The idea of being able to open a cafe is a very nice idea. It's natural in all of us to want to have people come and we serve them and look after them because it's something we want to do to our own loved ones and it comes naturally to us. But the idea that you can open up a nice little venue, pour some nice coffees and make a shitload of money had a lot of people entering the industry for the wrong reasons and because of that and also because of the idea that Melbourne itself started to sit back and rest on its laurels as Australia's food and beverage leader I guess uh, led to the increase in quality stopping and plateauing even you know when a champion becomes the highest level in their sport or sorry a sports person becomes a champion in their sport what do they do when they've done when they've got there 
it's not often that they want to set new goals to try and strive higher. It's like, okay, I've made it. There's time to um, chill, drink pina coladas in the sun because I've made it. And so that culture change and the fact that there's a lot of cafes saturating the market who are just there to get the money led to a drop in quality. I would call a lot of slothfulness in the industry. Well, there's a lot of slothfulness going on out there. Slothfulness. Yeah. So much so that in 2009, the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Robert Doyle, even made a statement saying that um, Melbourne's coffee is overrated. Of course, a lot of people whinged about that, but it actually was. There was coffee quality, uh, not just coffee, the quality of product and service put out by cafes was starting to drop. And, you know, it was even a little bit embarrassing being part of the industry that talked itself up Australia-wide, but knowing it actually wasn't that good. And I felt bad for tourists coming here, expecting a level. And then in some of the cities they come from, the level was better in small pockets or in small in uh, certain cafes themselves. And so how do you fix that? You do what the Lord Mayor did and try to drive a cultural change by saying, hey, snap out of it. You're not that good. Keep improving. That would take a long time and it will take a lot of people pushing in the same direction for that to happen. Or you get something like COVID. I'm not saying that um, anyone instigated COVID. It just worked out that this is what happened. Very sad for a lot of businesses that haven't survived. But this might be what the food and beverage industry needs to continue improving. You know, COVID, because it made so many venues close and lose a lot of their profits, it's almost like the tanks, if if it was a tank of petrol, the tanks got drained of most of what was in there. And really only, only the businesses who had enough fuel in the tank survived. And by fuel, I mean hospitality clout or the ability to be hospitable and to produce good product and service. They're the ones that are surviving. The ones that are no good haven't survived. And the ones that are in the middle are learning fight or flight, which is a beautiful thing you're seeing people snap into gear and realizing, okay, this isn't just a cushy industry to be part of. I've got to drive this thing. I've got to learn how to get my product better. Do some research. I guess tap into that natural self of um, being hospitable. Uh, there's a few, I noticed a few cafes and how they went about it. There's a cafe near me that decided to close their doors altogether for the whole period. They actually reopened when things opened up in Melbourne and then when the second level of restrictions happened, they closed down again. So their method is to close while restrictions are on because they won't make enough profit just selling coffee and to open back up. Now, a lot of businesses can't do that. So I assume this business either owns the uh, the property that they're on or they have some form of uh, insurance to cover. Either way, they can survive 
still paying their rent or if, yeah, or mortgage or they just own the land. There's other places that have tried flot semming and that's to, to get rid of everything out of a boat when it's sinking by just selling whatever they can to make money. I've seen a place near me where you walk in and the guy just grunts at you. I couldn't believe it. I thought, are you trying to survive here or not? And they look on the shelves and they're selling uh, dishwashing detergent. I think they had um, puzzles and gloves and stuff for sale that you wouldn't expect in a cafe. And to me, that screamed anything for money. And then another style is I saw a brand new cafe opening and I thought to myself, oh shit, these poor guys, they've signed a lease just before COVID's happened and now they've got to go ahead. So I went and spoke to the owner um, and this is my conversation with Paul from Elephant Cafe in Kensington. All right, I'm here with um, Paul Hadzis from Elephant Elephant Cafe, or um, they have a few cafes. Uh, one that I go to is in Kensington. The coffee is delicious. Uh, welcome, Paul. Hi, how are you, Dyson? Pretty good, thank you. Thanks for your time. I just oh, not a problem. When I saw your cafe, I found it very interesting to see that you are opening in the middle of a period when so many business, so many cafes were closing. And I just wanted to know what it felt like from a, from your perspective, being the business owner. Um, in that, uh, first of, first yeah. of all, just to to clarify and make it clear, on uh, I'm the owner on Flemington Elephant Cafe okay. with my business my business partner Christian. He's the owner of the other cafes okay. that they are mentioned on the site. Uh, he's the owner of Elephant Cafe Newport of Baby Elephant Cafe on Footscray. Uh, he also owns the platform 177 on North Williamstown Station. And he's opening another two, one in South Melbourne and one in uh, Sakilda Towers, which oh, they will open up when uh, people will uh, go back to the, to the offices. Okay. Because they are small, tiny... Uh, uh, you know, like take away, just take away coffee only. Right. So I was working with uh, Christian like the last couple of months. We're very good friends like uh, since I came in Melbourne. And uh, we decided to, to to do that, to, to open up a new one. And uh, we found uh, a small one in Kent Street. It didn't go on with that one. And after a couple of days, we found the the one you are coming on in Flemington, which is uh, our biggest project so far. Right. And uh, yeah, we decided to take the risk because we think that uh, this won't last forever. The, in this situation with the COVID, won't last forever. Mm. And uh, you know, you can. Uh, you can negotiate the, the rent at this moment. And there oh. is a lot of opportunities, to be honest. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, and Sorry. we've got a great experience of hospitality because we've been doing this like I'm doing this since I was uh, 13 years old. And I'm uh, 35 now. I was in the same restaurant in Greece like uh, 15 years. Oh, wow. 
and uh, Christian uh, is doing this as well, and we decided to take the risk. Um, the, yeah, well, I guess that just uh, leads into the next question, which is yeah, which part of yep. your business gives you the confidence? You were saying a lot of um, experience gives you the confidence to know that you're doing the right thing. Oh, you, you're taking a calculated risk? Yeah, yeah, that's the most important because we know what we are doing and we have faith in uh, uh, in our in the way we we offer the hospitality to people. Uh, th this is uh, what makes us believe that uh, we're gonna do very well when uh, things go back to normal. Any any more specific like what parts of hospitality you think makes. The businesses that didn't work, what makes them close? The ones that ones that had to close and the ones that will survive. What do you think the difference is between the good and the bad businesses? Well, because I haven't, I haven't, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't inside, let's say it like that. I wasn't inside any business that closed. Well, I don't know what they were doing wrong. Probably they were doing something wrong. Yeah. It's not only the the situation that it is now. When when a business closes, probably they're not doing some. They're doing something wrong for for a long time. Yeah. Because uh, as I can see, all all the businesses of my business partner, they're still working and they are working very well. It might be their best period, to be honest. Wow. Be because if you offer something something really good to someone. He, he will evaluate that and he will still be there for you, even in these very bad moments. And I've seen a lot of cafe in my neighborhood here in Asphodel. They're, st they're still doing very well. Probably they're... You have to do very well so people, um, they can uh, appreciate that and they keep uh, coming. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. As long as you make uh, the good product then they will come back again. Of, of course, of course. Yeah, and um, I have tried your coffee uh, more than once and it's very uh, consistent and I assume the food will be the same. Um, we'll Thanks like to, for that. I'd like to yeah. try when, when things open. We've got one, one more month, right? Yeah, probably it might be a little bit uh, earlier because they, they said the, the outdoor it might open uh, a little bit earlier because of the cases numbers that keep falling and uh yeah we're just waiting for that that's good well uh fingers crossed it happens earlier for you and um uh yeah congratulations on opening during a tough period and um i wish you the best of luck and thanks for your time today paul thanks tyson thank you very much and so one thing i got from that discussion was that they were smart about negotiating their rent during this period and they had enough strength behind them with the other cafes that they gave them enough confidence to utilize this uh, down period. So good luck to them. Now, how, how to know if a cafe is good or not? Firstly, you can just see how many people are lining up at the front course but that might be just hype uh, and sometimes a cafe or will be popular for the first six months to a year but you don't really know what that like if, 
if that place is really about it until they've been doing it for a while. You notice a lot of places are cool. When they first start, everything's all gloss until shit gets real and whether they can actually sustain that style of gloss that they were selling is a real telltale factor. So you can check if there's a lot of people at the front. It's normally a good indication that that place is doing good product. But then what about new cafes? Ones that have just opened up or not enough people know about them yet, but they are really fucking good at what they do. It helps if you go and try new places. I know you might have a good place, but every place that you discovered, you had to take that risk in, uh, firstly to go and find out. And you took that risk and you discovered an awesome place you could tell your friends about and, or just don't tell anyone, it's your little secret. But keep trying new cafes and armed with this knowledge, you'll be able to tell if they're actually know what they're doing let's just quickly focus on the word hospitality itself hospitality comes from the word hospitable which means to be friendly welcoming or friendly warm welcoming to visitors or guests which is further derived from the word hospice which is a home providing care for sick or the terminally ill so hospitality means to be hospitable which means pretty much to treat guests as if you're treating people coming to your house, as if they're guests at your house. That's, that's how simple it is. Think about when you go to someone's house, how you act. Think about when you have people come over for dinner, how you act. That's pretty much all it is. The difference is you just don't know the people. So, what do you look for? Firstly, how did you feel upon entry to the place? Now, upon entry means as you walk up and then as you first get into the place. Do you feel like a guest at someone's house? Were you greeted? The second and third time you go back, do they remember you? Do they care enough to remember your name, remember the product or the drink you have or do they remember something small about last time you wore that hat or you spoke about something do they care enough about you to remember something about you now be aware of fake greetings and you can tell the difference between fake and real but the person who said hi is very different to the person who says hi guys welcome nice to have you there's people who are told that they have to say hi to people who come in and there's people who want to say hi to people who come in. You can tell the difference. Second thing, presentation. Presentation, we can break down into cleanliness, order and respect. So the outside of the venue, the signage, the name of the the name of the venue itself, there might be A-frame sitting outside. There might be signs in the window. Is it all clean? Is it orderly? Is the A-frame written by someone who's hungover and you can't even read it? The chalk on the A-frame? 
or is it neat and clear and acts like it respects itself? Does the window have lots of little signs in it and makes the place look messy like a... looks like a um, university uh, cork board, notice board? Or does it have a few signs that are neatly placed and is the window clean? Are the corners of the window clean? When you step inside the venue, is there order? Does it feel orderly? Is the place clean? Is the bar clean? Are the bench tops... Is it a shit fight on the bench tops or does everything have a place? Is the floor clean? Are the corners of the floor clean? Where the floor meets the bar, has it been cared for or do they just run the mop up against it and there's a dirty brown line? Are the tabletops clean? Does there seem to be order in the place? Does, does staff have a role? And one thing, if you can, always have a look at the kitchen. Does the kitchen look like you would want to eat from it? There might be a lot of little plastic containers, but are they in order? Are the containers labeled? Is the shelf, is the shelves with bowls and cups stacked on it neat? Or is there shit everywhere? That's a fair indication of how the mind of not only the kitchen, but the management of the place itself thinks. If that's a shit fight in the kitchen, then it's a shit fight through management and staff. And the cool room itself out the back is a shit fight, which means it might not be rotated, which means next time you get something from there, it might have been from a container that's been sitting up the back a little bit too longer than it should and someone forgot to throw it out. Order is very important because with order comes cleanliness. Presentation of the staff. Is their appearance, their personality, is that all clean and orderly? It doesn't have to be over the top. I mean, especially these days. There can be beards, there can be tattoos, there can be wild hair, but there's a difference between messy hair and wild hair that's that's still cared for. Clothing doesn't have to be over the top. It just has to be neat and clean. Aprons ironed. The whole idea is to give make you feel like they care about themselves because then if they do, the venue probably cares about itself and then you'll get cared for. And the main thing with staff is do you get a warm feeling off them? Because the ones who like being there, it's normally a good venue that cares about itself and then they in turn care about you. If the staff doesn't want to be there, it might be a shit job, which means they probably don't care about their product, they just care about money and it's really fucked for that staff member to be there so if it's hard enough for them why would they go ahead and make and and want you to be there or care about you being there number three menu size if you have a place that has that does pizzas pastas chinese food and thai food and also does uh milkshakes juices I mean, places can do all these, but I'm talking about when they try to do everything at once because they're trying to please everybody. That's a bad, that's a bad indication. Firstly, they're not confident in, this, in the products they do 
So they're trying to do everything to please everyone so that they can make money. But also, the more items on a menu, the more ingredients needs to be stored and ordered. And so that's going to be a cool room full of things that might not get ordered as often as others. So that's stuff that sitting on the shelf, hopefully they throw it out. If, it's, if, if money is such a big factor, then they're not going to want to throw food out. And you better cross your fingers. You order the item on the menu that gets ordered a lot. Otherwise, you might be getting something that's been sitting in the back corner of that cool room for a long time. Smaller the menu, the less ingredients they have sitting out the back and the more confident they are in what they serve. And the fourth one is knowledge. Does the venue have enough time to inform their staff so that they can make you feel like guests? So that they make you feel cared for? And knowledge of product. Cafe-wise, we can just talk about tea and coffee. Tea and coffee react with air. Tea itself will absorb anything in the air that's the flavors of anything in the air that is around it and that that flavor will come out in the tea that's why tea needs to be stored in airtight containers and non-porous containers that might absorb or have flavors in them so it needs to be stainless steel ceramic or glass and also that needs to be non-penetrable by light so that light will not deteriorate the product as well. And coffee, coffee even furthermore reacts to the air because coffee is what is called hygroscopic, which means it will absorb the water in the air around it. And so as the humidity changes in the day, that means the amount of water per molecule in the air will increase which means that coffee will absorb more water from the air around it. And that changes the grain size. As the ground coffee will absorb the water, it will fatten up a little bit. And the size of the grain, when it's all pushed together into that little um, handle that they put in the machine, that will affect the size of that grain will affect how it presses down with other grains around it and how the water will the pressured water will be able to get around that grain and absorb uh, and be and all the flavors be forced out of that or extracted out of that grain. So what I'm saying is the barista needs to be changing the grind of the coffee, how small it is ground, in accordance with how the humidity is changing throughout the day. And what so what I'm saying is your barista needs to be attentive. You can tell if the barista's there just to chat up chicks or just to look cool or do they actually care about the product they're putting out. Are they changing the grind as the day gets warmer? Are they watching the shots come out of the machine, which is the indicator that the humidity is changing in the air? Because the shots will come out uh, slower or faster according to how much coffee's in the basket that's why automatic grinders are more precise and make a more consistent product but if they watch the shop if they watch the shot pour they will notice it start to change as the day changes they will adjust the grind accordingly and therefore watching how attentive the barista is to the product they're making is an indication of how 
much they care about the product that they're serving to you. And there's a furthermore indication of how much the venue cares because they will have trained the barista to do that. You can also find out by asking the waiter a question to know how much they know about their product. And beware of things like adjectives on a menu. The most extreme case is if there's no adjectives on a menu. If the place knows how good that it is making a good product, it doesn't need to tell you how good it is because it knows it is. And once you try it, you'll be coming back forever. So if you see something on a menu that just says chicken and rice and it's a, and the venue's passed um, a few of the criteria we've just mentioned beforehand, chances are that's going to be delicious chicken and rice because they don't have to say free range uh, grass-fed breast fillet chicken served over medium grain jasmine green tea infused rice. Notice the number of descriptors or adjectives put in front to try and church it up. The less of those, the better the restaurant is generally. And that's what I call virtue signaling. You'll see it written up on boards around the place we only serve this type of product uh, there'll be signs up to say how there'll be awards on the wall to say how good we are good places don't need to tell you about it they already respect themselves enough that you recognize it in how they present themselves and how good their product is and the main thing that gets me annoyed is when after you finished your meal is when a waiter or waitress will come up to you and ask you how was your meal Bitch, you should already know how good it was. The venue, if the venue is confident in the product it serves, it respects the product it serves, it doesn't need to ask you because it knows how good it was. Just take the plate away and just, they should almost just walk up and grab the plate and say you're welcome if, they, if they're good enough at it. All right, look, the whole idea of this, I'm probably on my high horse a bit, but the whole idea is just, I think it's important to be always tr continually trying to improve as cafes or just as people generally in life. It's a, it's a good way to be all the time. Um, to venues themselves, treat guests like they're house guests. That's the major thing. And just as important, treat yourself as if you're a beautiful host. Because you are, if you are focusing on what you're good at and what you love, and if you're never stopping to continually try to improve on your product and what you present all the time, you are a beautiful host. And your guests will be beautiful house guests. To guests, treat the venue as if you're going to a friend's house. You don't go to a friend's house for dinner, walk in the door without saying hello, sit on their couch and start watching the TV. I guarantee you've never done that. If you have, they're not your friend or you're a real piece of work. And so why would you do it at another venue? If you're someone who goes into a cafe, sits your fat ass down without, and then just waves at the waiter, you've shown no respect to that venue, so how can you expect any respect back? Fuck you. Go up to the place, have some respect, and if they're a good enough venue, they will treat you as the as much of the respect that you expect. And show the staff some respect. 
most hospitality venues run at a 10% profit margin. And so staff aren't getting paid that well. They're getting award wages, which is minimum wage. And so if you can afford it, tip them. And if you can't tip, tip with your mouth. Compliment. Compliment wherever you can. And in fact, if you need, it's okay to complain about something too, but compliment as much as you complain. If the chicken was overcooked or if something tasted a bit sus, tell them, hey, the coffee was quite nice, but I wasn't too sure about that. They'll get the message. Because imagine if someone told you something you made for them wasn't very good. I'd be, they'd be horrified. So the message will get back to the kitchen. That place won't do it again. And even you just not turning up next time is also a message. That's all we've got to say about the state of cafes. I hope that the ones who are really trying to make themselves into better cafes will survive. I hope you out there can um, help the ones who are trying to survive, the ones who are trying to make as best product and service as possible. And so if you don't die tonight as a venue or as a person, We'll see you tomorrow and get out there and try a new cafe. Be armed with the ability to be an awesome guest and to know what to expect from an awesome venue. And that way we're just going to keep building up our culture Australia-wide until we're the uh, food destination of the world. Catch you later. Mouth, Mouth full, full of, of beans. Mouth full of beans.